Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really, really glad that you're here with us this morning. We're honored that you would spend a Sunday morning worshiping with um, our family here at Providence Road. Um, the, the sermon text this morning is going to be in Rome. We're going to be in Romans 9. And so the verses will be on the screens to my left and to my right. But if you want to follow along with me and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles laying around. And if you don't have a Bible, then um, that's our gift to you. Please take that home. And Romans 9 is on five, page 550 of that Bible. The Bibles that are scattered throughout the room, 550 in those Bibles if you want to follow along. But like I said, the, the, the scriptures will be on the screens to my left and to my right. So we're going to go Romans 9, verses 1 through 13. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears, wit bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise says, said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask um, as we um, dig in and, and work ourselves through this passage, Lord, I pray that um, we would allow it to be authoritative um, in, in our minds and in our hearts and as we read it, and um, that we would truly um, ask ourselves, what does your word say? And what are, what, how are you revealing yourself through the word? I pray we would set previous ideas aside and uh, things we're thinking about coming into this time. And we would just trust that your word is sufficient and powerful and authoritative and that it can change us. And that, that would change us this morning. And I also just want to remember uh, just things going on in the world right now. just seems like there's a lot of suffering from... Um, Afghanistan to Egypt to London to Syria, and I just pray for your presence and your comfort to move in these places and all over the world that is struggling with um, violent um, things happening and, and, and death and, and suffering and, and all of those things, Lord. And I pray for all the other churches this morning that are proclaiming your word, preaching the gospel, um, calling people back to you, and loving the city well. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, yesterday I had the opportunity um, 
to, to go to um, a funeral. And it was an opportunity because I got a chance to, to celebrate uh, a man's life. Um, a, a really good friend of mine um, and a good friend of Blake and Patrick and some of the other guys in here, um, his name was Kyle. He was a roommate of ours in college. His father um, passed away last week um, at the age of 91. So um, a few of us drove over to Arkansas yesterday to um, attend the funeral. And it always happens when I, I go to, I've been to several funerals, as I'm, I'm sure many of you have, um, and I, I always, um, funerals impact me a lot, and I think that they're probably meant to do that. And even as yesterday, as we were observing the funeral, um, funerals really will cause us to ask the question and really make us reflect, what do, how do we view God? Or what do we think about God? And looking kind of through, Al Clark was the man's name who passed away, looking through kind of back through Al Clark's life now that he is no longer here on earth, um, you can really see the fruit and the, the legacy he has left because of the way he viewed God. Like you can see looking back through his life that the way he viewed God impacted every aspect of his life. And that should be, that kind of is an elementary idea to a lot of us, but I think in the moment as we're living our lives and we're living in the present that oftentimes we don't Think about how we live and how our view of God actually affects the way we live and, and what kind of legacy we're going to leave and what people are going to say at, at our funeral. And as they eulogize us, what are they going to talk about? And this man lived a full life, a lot of fruit. God was working through his life, 91. I mean, all sorts of things that glorify God um, in that. And so I I. I was thinking about this, and I hope that as followers of Jesus, as most of us are, that our view of God would be shaped and formed by what we read in the Bible. And, and I think how we view God is just one of those, one of the most important things that we can think about and kind of deal with here on earth. And so because of that, one of the things here at Providence Road that we do not budge on is that we preach the Bible. We preach the Bible. We preach God's word. Whether we're going through verse by verse through a book of the Bible or we're going to zero in on a topic from somewhere else in the scriptures, we want to preach the Bible. We want to let God communicate through his word. We don't want to necessarily be the ones that are communicating our ideas. We want to communicate well his ideas. And the Bible is authoritative. It's perfect. And it's really important to realize it's perfect in everything it teaches and everything it teaches. And so there are going to be some things in this passage we're going to look at today that are going to be hard. Be hard to, to, to hear and hard to understand. There are going to be some questions that come up as a result of the passage today. But I also think there are some things in this passage that are very, very clear. And I want to really focus on the things that are very, very clear in this passage. So my goal, like it is every week here, is to let the Bible do the talking. Okay, and I've been dealing with a little bit of a cold, so maybe drinking some water to prevent coughing. If you are a guest with us, we've been walking through the book of Romans, walking through the book of Romans the last several months. We find ourselves in chapter nine. We finished verse eight last week, and there are four or five, or chapter eight last week, there are four or five places in the book of Romans where there are these strong pivots or turns that Paul makes, and we find ourselves in one of those places now as we go from chapter eight to chapter 9, there is a big pivot and turn and um, 
kind of a topical change that we are going to see in this transition. And the passage today can initially feel like it's coming out of left field, but it's not. It's connected to the previous eight chapters. This is one book, um, and this, this, this passage fits exactly where it should be. But I think we need to understand where we've come from and understand the context to kind of frame what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to go back and do a quick overview of where we've come in Romans. So in chapter 1 to about midway through chapter 3, Paul is primary talk. Paul is primarily talking about humans' need for God, humans' need for a Savior, the fact that humanity cannot save themselves. Okay, we can't. There's nothing inside of us. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian in this room or not. There's nothing inside of us that can save us. We need something else outside of ourselves to be our Savior. And without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope for humanity to be reconciled to God, okay? And that's a very important thing to think about and remember as we get into the passage we're going to talk about today, this, this big idea in Romans 1 um, of our sin and our need for a Savior, something outside of ourselves to help us be reconciled to God. Midway through chapter 3 and into chapter 4, Paul talks about um, how we are reconciled to God, the remedy for our sin, he gets into this big idea of justification, um, this idea that we can be made right before God, and that through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and if we have faith in that, it's through faith that we are saved and reconciled back to God. This idea of justification really means that when G on the cross, when Jesus died, he took our sin upon himself, and we are given his righteousness, his perfect obedience and record before the Father is credited to us. So when God sees us and we stand before God, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not our works, not our imperfect righteousness, but he sees our righteousness. And we, can, we are reconciled back to him because of the righteousness that has been given to us in Jesus. That is justification. Then in chapters 5 through 8, Paul kind of turns and begins to look at what does it look like to live the Christian life? Like, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And he kind of traces the ups and downs of the Christian life. What does it look like to fight sin? What does it look like to have hope in the present and into the future with our faith? Okay, and last week we ended chapter, we finished chapter 8. And the last two verses of chapter 8 are this. And I want to kind of pick, catch us up right where we were at last week. For I am sure, verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, big, big crescendo. Worship should ensue after hearing that, those verses, okay? And really the whole chapter, but he ends on this big upswing there. Now, I go through all of this because I want us to know where we've been and what the last thing Paul is thinking before he gets into what he's talking about today. Okay, so let's look at Romans 9, 1 through 5. It says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears wit me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, 
And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So after such a a large crescendo of of joy and praise and worship and glorifying God, Paul do this 360 here emotionally here. He goes from that to saying, I have have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Why? Well, the text says because his people, his blood, his his kin, his kinsmen have have been cut off. They've been cut off from Jesus. They have not responded to the gospel. And he knows what he's experienced in the gospel and the freedom and the joy and the love he's experienced from God through the gospel. And he wants his people, his kinsmen, to, to feel the same thing and to experience the same thing that he's experienced. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some of you in here who have people that um, are, are praying for you. Maybe some of you who aren't Christians, um, who don't consider yourself church people, and you, you have, I guarantee you have people in your life that are praying for the same thing, that are feeling the same thing for you. And I just want you to know that because I've heard people echo those things. And he goes on to even say that he would give up all the benefits of knowing Christ if his people would be saved. He would actually go to hell, in a sense he's saying, if, if, if his people would be reconciled to God. This is a bold statement that he would take the place of all of his people if they could be reconciled to God. So as we move into this, Paul is not writing this as a a mere intellectual academic. He is feeling something when he's writing Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's feeling something. And we need to recognize the tone as we go through this passage, especially as we come across these difficult heady passage, which they will be, Paul is writing this with a love and a brokenness for his people, the people he loves. I think one application point here, a little bit of a side note, is that do we as followers of Jesus have the same love and the same anguish in our hearts and in our souls for the people who we love who maybe aren't um, experiencing the same love found in Jesus, who don't have the freedom and joy we're experiencing? Do we feel uh, uh, at least some of what Paul is feeling towards his people? And I think that um, is a good thing to feel here. So all the things that Paul mentions in the verses 4 and 5 having to do with the Israelites, these, these are the benefits given to them as God's people. Okay, they had access to the presence of God that no other nation had. God loved them in practical, tangible ways, cared for them, helped them fight battles. I mean, they are God's people. And the Romans know this. They, the, the people who aren't Jews around here, they know how God took care of his people. They know how they had access to God. <clears throat> and it's why, it's why it's so surprising that they've rejected the gospel. They've rejected God. They, they, all these things were to point to Jesus coming. And when Jesus came, at least the times Paul is writing this, they, they had missed it. They had missed it, which is a shame that that has happened. So this question built into here that Paul's going to address in, in verse 6 is, well, if, the, if these people had the promise, then does God's word fail? Do, do God's promises fail then if Israel, of all people, has rejected the gospel? Do God's promises fail? Passages like this, you have Jeremiah 31, 33. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is God's word. This is the perfect word of God saying that he will, he will have a, a people from Israel. And at this time, that hasn't happened as Paul's writing this. So people are like, well, can we trust anything God says? Back in chapter 8, the, the fact that God, we can never be separated from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus, that Jesus loves us and Jesus is for us. Can we really trust those things? If Israel isn't, is rejecting the gospel and it's been cut off, how can we be sure that we're not going to get cut off? And Paul is feeling and realizing all of this like he always does in this book. He is anticipating these things. So through the rest of this chapter, and really chapters 10 and 11, which we will get to over the next few weeks, um, Paul is going to show us and really prove to us that God's word has not failed. God's promises are still trustworthy. And this is the whole point in writing these three chapters is really dealing with his anguish and the question that that kind of anguish brings up from, from, chap, from uh, verses 1 to 5. Okay, So everything that follows is coming out of these five verses we just read. So let's go 6 through 9. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So the first thing Paul says is, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Another way to kind of say that is, um, um, all who are of Israel, these are not Israel. Okay? Really what Paul is saying was, just because a person is ethnically an Israelite or a Jew, that that doesn't mean that they are actually the, the, the spiritual Israel, the spiritual Jewish nation that will um, be formed eventually. Okay? That's just because you're an Israelite by blood doesn't mean that you have access to the promises of God. Doesn't necessarily mean that. He gives two Old Testament examples of this to, to show what he's talking about here. So he's teaching here. He's saying, okay, let me give you a couple examples to kind of show you my point. The first is Abraham, okay? So Abraham, um, God comes to Abraham, chooses him out of all the other people he could have chosen on the earth at this time. He comes to this man named Abram. He would change his name to Abraham. Comes to Abram and says, that your, your descendants are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless your descendants. And I'm going to create a nation out of your descendants. But if we remember, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, Isaac and Ishmael. Um, and God promised that the blessings would go through Isaac. Ishmael was Abraham's physical descendant, but he wasn't necessarily his spiritual descendant. Okay, He is the one who would inherit God's blessings. So God kind of designed it for the blessing. It was still Abraham's descendants, but they would go through Isaac's line and not through Ishmael's line. Okay, this is the first example to kind of prove that why God's word has not failed. And the second is found in verses 10 through 13. So let's read that. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Okay, 
So Abraham's son Isaac, whom the blessings going down that line, uh, marries a, a woman named Rebekah, and they are expecting twins. And before the twins are born, God comes to Rebekah. We see this in Genesis 25, 23. And it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall, shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So the older will serve the younger. Okay, and so the two boys were named Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. He was the older just by minutes. And this traditionally would have meant that even in that culture that the blessings would have been passed down through the oldest child, the birthright. Um, but in a series of events, um, and really bad trade by Esau, okay, he's, gets, he's weak one day, he's hungry. Jacob, being kind of the conniving guy he is, offers him some chicken noodle soup. And Esau, in a moment of weakness, trades his birthright for a bowl of soup, okay? And so from that point forward, now Jacob has the birthright, okay? As God didn't say how it would happen, but God, before these two twins were born, would say that Jacob, or the younger, uh, would be, end up being over um, Esau, okay? And this is exactly what happened through these series of events, okay? Um, and then the, the verse 13 here finishes with this, this, this statement that says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This is a quote from the prophetic book of Malachi, verses 2 and 3 in that book, okay? And so this word hate, that, that kind of, I think, catches us off guard a little bit, hated, okay? Now, we have to ask, well, what does this idea of hate mean, okay? And if another place where you get this word of hate, Jesus, is actually, Jesus actually uses it in Luke 14, 26. Let's look how he uses this word hate. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay? So many commentators, interpreters, think that this word hate is kind of a, a word of comparison. Okay? It, in comparison to the way God feels about Jacob, he actually hates Esau. But he doesn't really hate Esau, as we would often think of the word hate. Okay, Esau ends up having, actually, from just an earthly standard, has a better life than Jacob. God kind of blesses him with more earthly uh, blessings than, than Jacob does. And Jacob runs into a lot of issues, and Esau kind of lives a pretty good life, at least a physical life on earth. So most commentators think that that word hate is probably a hate of comparison, kind of the same way that Jesus used it in Luke 14. Okay, now... Here are the two important kind of things, just to, to kind of cut through all this, the things that, are, that God's saying here in this passage through Paul. Or Paul's saying, uh, God differentiates, differentiated between Jacob and Esau before their birth. Okay? So something happened before their birth. God differentiated before they were born. And second of all, they, it, he differentiated, obviously, before they did anything. They were in the womb. They, didn't, they haven't done anything on earth yet, and God kind of made a decision here before they were born. Okay, and this gets into the difficult question of asking, well, those who are saved, why are people saved? Why are people that are Christians Christians? And why people who are not Christians not Christians? And those people who are not saved, why are they not saved? And there's really two paths you can go down. To, this is a really, really hard question. But if you're going to try to answer it, there's kind of one of two ways you can go here. You can say, well, it's, it's up to the, the human, okay? The person is responsible for making the choice, making a good decision. 
taking in all the facts in the environment at the time and kind of making a decision to follow God. Okay? Maybe they were smarter. Maybe they had better information. Maybe they weren't going through a rough time. And whatever it is, it, it kind of puts the responsibility on the humans. Now, so I think some, some dangers of this is that often leads to potential boasting. Because if it's ultimately our decision in coming to know Jesus, then we must have done something right in that moment, more so than people who haven't made professions of faith. There must have been something in that moment that we saw the benefit of following Jesus more than this person at that moment, okay? And I think that can lead to boasting, and I actually think it leads to robbing God of his glory, okay? Because it's ultimately about us and the decision we make. Now, the other path you can go down is it is ultimately up to God. And I believe that's what the scripture teaches from Genesis to Revelation. I think this is what Romans 9 is teaching here. So that we would have absolutely nothing to boast in. That's a consistent pattern through all of scripture that humanity would not boast. That we would only boast in the Lord. And that ultimately God would get glory for all things. And most of us are okay with that. God gets glory for all things. But that includes our salvation. Okay? So this is, I think, the, kind of the crux of some of the issues when we're talking about this passage. Now listen to another common passage that I think a lot of people uh, find very straightforward. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now let's look back at Romans 9, verse 11, in the passage we're looking at today. This is kind of the purpose statement of in this passage. Paul says, in order that, which is kind of a purpose way to, to lead into this, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, kind of Ephesians 2 there, not because of works, but because of him, God, who calls. Okay, so this is why this election thing happens. This is why God has chosen to do it the way he's done it, so that we wouldn't boast and he would get glory. That's the purpose of God. And we talk about that a lot here. From Genesis to Revelation, God is ultimately about his glory. And if we're his people, we actually benefit from the fact that he is about his glory above all things. We benefit in that because we are his people, if we have faith in who and what Jesus did. Now, let's look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. This is, I think, a, a taking Ephesians 2 and the verse we looked at, verse 11, and kind of putting those together in a way. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, there was a purpose for choosing us before anything happened. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay? So, Paul will ultimately, in chapter 11, in a couple of weeks, tell us <coughs> why God's promise hasn't failed. Okay? He'll, he'll tell us that there'll be a remnant. There'll be a spiritual remnant of Israel that will be saved. It hasn't happened yet, but he's saying it will happen. And you can trust that because that is what God's word says. That will happen in the future. And we're going to get to that soon. We're just not there yet in this passage. 
Um, and that's important to know because, again, the promise has not failed. Okay, so the principle here is that God determines who, who shall and who shall not um, have salvation um, apart from anything that a human does, okay, because of his sovereign good pleasure and not according to anything in men. And this is such good news for us. I, I just want us to, to think about this, okay? That it, it, you did nothing to earn your way to God. And you can do nothing to, 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 to earn your way out of that situation, okay? It's really, really good news. When we were at our worst, God saved us. We didn't have to clean ourselves up to come to Jesus, okay? He saved us. This is such, such good news. And I think it shows that he didn't, he didn't create this system of salvation and kind of take his hands off and say, and just hope that, that, that his children would make the right decision to kind of get themselves in this system of salvation. He says, no, that one's mine. I'm going to save that person. I love that person. And, and, and for those of us who are in Christ, that, is, that should feel good, that God loves you. He didn't love necessarily the world. He does love the world in a way, but he loved you if you were a follower of Jesus. Okay? And, that, and if we think about that and dwell on that, that can change us. A lot of us struggle with whether God loves us. A lot of us struggle with acceptance and approval and wondering if anyone could possibly approve of us after some of the stuff we've done or the stuff we continue to do. Yes, the answer is, because of this idea, this truth helps us feel and understand the love of God. Now, Paul is not trying to win a theological debate here. Okay? That's why we started the way we did. In the context, this is not what Paul's trying to get at. He's trying to show that God's promises will never fail. And he uses, he thinks this is a really good defense of that. He's trying to awaken us to see God's glory and beauty and love and power that is seen in our salvation. It wasn't this, hey, someone said something and I went down and, and then I was saved and now I get to go to heaven and now I just really try hard in this Christian life. Like, no, 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 no. There was so much more going on in that moment that God was doing and God was working deep, deep down in our hearts and souls that we can look back on and give him glory for that. In the moment, we don't always recognize that or feel that, but that is what is occurring. Now, I realize, again, this brings up questions. I have questions about this passage. There's some mystery. If you start asking questions, there's some mystery in here. And I don't think this passage intends to answer all of our questions. That's not the point of it. The point of the passage is to be clear in what it teaches. And I think it is clear in what it teaches, okay? But it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wrestle with this passage. I wrestled with this passage all week, okay? And I hope you continue to do so. But here are some things I think that we can for sure take out of this passage that will help us as we leave here, okay? Number one, God's word doesn't fail, period. It doesn't. And maybe you weren't struggling with that, but I think sometimes when we read the word, we like, do we really believe that? Do we really believe he wants us to be joyful? Do we really believe that he is the way to ultimate freedom? Okay, And so when we read the Bible, when we hear from God, when we 
sit down before him and open it, we can know that this word, it's not a failure in any way. It's perfect. And kind of at the beginning of this, that was in jeopardy, according to some of the things that at least people may have been thinking based off of the Jews rejecting the gospel. Second of all, um, God's electing love of you before the foundation of the world, world, like I said before, should cause you to worship. It should cause you to praise him. If, if, you're, if you're struggling with kind of that, the feeling part of your faith or the, the, the wanting to elicit a response before God, like think about this idea and think about who you were when God saved you. And that should produce just feelings of joy and, and, and constant amazement at that he would die for you in the condition that you were in and die for me in the condition I was in. Just mind-boggling when we think about that. And he did it all, and he's the author according to his sovereign will. And that is such good news for us. Now, the third thing I want to say, and I think here's where some of the tension and mystery comes in. God is the author of our salvation from beginning to end. I think the Bible teaches that from Genesis to Revelation. But here's what the Bible also says. The Bible also says humans must respond in faith to be saved. That's true through the scriptures as well. So we're not going to, we're going to take things that the Bible says and wrestle with how they fit together. And the Bible says also that the gospel should be offered to all. The gospel should be offered to every human being. Every human being that has ever breathed should have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So when all those things fit together and how they fit together, there's a little bit of mystery here. It's a little bit hard to understand how God is sovereign over all things, but then there's some responsibility that we have in this and responsibility to take the gospel to the whole world because the Bible says it. And even right now, through the Holy Spirit, in this place, God is working. God is moving. God is, God is working on hearts. He's working on minds, those who are Christians now. I believe those who aren't Christians in this room, potentially God is working and moving. Okay, so even though it is our, it, we have responsibility to respond in faith, God is always moving behind the scenes. He's always working, and you begin to see that after you become a Christian and you start telling your story, I guarantee you, you start to notice, oh, yeah, he did that. Oh, yeah, he did that. Oh, oh wow, he did that. And it's much easier sometimes to see these things looking back on your story rather than being in the, the presence of that in the moment. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you are not a Christian, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to call you to respond. I'm going to, 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 to beg you to respond to the good news of the gospel today because that's what the scriptures say. And God may be working in your heart right now and in your mind. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Some of you, because of your sin, are still separated from God the Father. Some of you haven't experienced his love. Some of you haven't experienced a love like this ever in your lives. And maybe you're looking for that. You're looking for someone to accept you without having to be somebody different or fake it or be better than you really are. God accepts you as you are right now. Okay, And I want to tell you that. I want you to know that. I want you to pray about responding. That God may be working in the deepest places of your heart and soul. And in a moment when we do communion together, I pray that you would respond in communion, that you would tell a friend or whoever brought you and, and, and process this with them. Even though you still have questions, of course you're going to have questions. 
but God may be working in your heart, and I don't want to miss that this morning. Now, the rest of the chapter includes Paul answering some, I think, common objections to this. So next week in part two, we're going to pick up where we left off and really address some of these objections, I think, like something like, is this fair? Is a, is a legitimate question to ask. And we're going to address that next week as Paul addresses them, okay? But here in a second, we're going to sing another song. And the primary way I want us to respond, we, we do this every week, but I want to, to be more intentional, is when we sing these songs and we respond in worship, I want us to think and dwell on this truth, that God's sovereign, electing love loved you before the foundation of the world, before I mean, before you could do anything. And yet he knew who you would be. He knew the rebel that he, he would be saving. He knew that as well. And yet his grace and his mercy were poured out on you. And that is a cause to celebrate and sing and worship. So this last song that's sung, I pray that we'd be mindful and that would be our response to the text this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word again. I thank you that um, we have um, the Bible, and when we come up with questions that all of us probably have about how, does, how do the mechanics work in salvation, how, is, how are some people saved and some aren't, and what goes into that, and all of those questions, I thank you that you've given us your word, and even passages that are hard to understand and, and, and bring, immediately bring up questions I, I thank you that we can trust that your word doesn't fail and that this is your word and that it's authoritative and it is without error. And so we can approach, if we approach your word like that, we can wrestle with things. We can trust that this, there's a good and loving and powerful God behind these words. And we can dig in and process and use our minds and think about these things because it's worth it. It's, it's how we view you. And how we view you changes the way we live. So we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of communion now. And before Jesus would go to the cross to die for sinners like you and me, had a meal with his closest followers, and he said, this, this bread right here represents my body that would be broken for you. And he tore it to, for it to be a visible tangible demonstration of what would happen to him on the cross. Then he took a cup. He said, this cup, the, the, the liquid in this cup represents my blood that was shed for you, that would cover your past, your present, and your future sins. And as you remember me, and as you gather, he says, to do this often, to remember the things I've done for you. Now, as you, you sit here and you process before coming forward to take communion or going to the back. Um, just think about the, the, the love that God has for you and, and the degree of the love that God has for you based off the passage we read. And I don't know if we, maybe we just uh, assume, I know I assume that and, and I kind of just, uh, I, I, I get that and so I don't dwell on that enough, but dwell on the links that God went through to love you and to save you if you're a follower of Jesus in this room. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room during this time, um, like I mentioned, I would invite you to respond to the gospel. One way you can respond to the gospel is by taking communion. If you feel that God has, has changed you from the inside, 
you can make, take communion, maybe for the first time. But if that's you, I would I pray that you would tell someone, come talk to me afterwards, tell a friend maybe that, that, that you came with. And if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're still thinking and, and, and wrestling and struggling with this, um, I would encourage you um, to, to just stay where you are. This is a family deal. This is for Christians only, but it's really good to wrestle with this passage. So I mean, I would encourage you just to sit and wrestle and, and come talk to me about that. We can go have lunch or go have coffee and talk through these things. This is not a difficult, not an easy passage to understand. Like I said, it brings up questions, and I want to help you process, process through some of these questions if that's you. But go ahead and remain seated if that's you. So um, take a few minutes. Whenever you're ready, you can come forward, and you'll, we'll have people serve communion if you're a guest with us. And, and there's one station in the back. Take a few minutes, and then when we stand to sing at the end, remember, we, are, we are responding to his grace and his mercy and his love that he's shown us. So take a few minutes and come forward to the back whenever you're ready.